trying to inject the doctrine of cessationalism, which is that the supernatural did not get past the apostolic age, past the close of the Bible. Trying to inject that into a dispensational reading of Scripture is a mistake and is not part of apostolic Pentecostal theology. Stay tuned. You will want to hear this. So welcome today to All Things Apostolic. We're glad you're back with us. This is going to be a great session. As those of you who have been following us know, we have been doing a fairly in-depth treatment of the subjects of dispensations, and we will also get to the subject of uh, a covenant theology at some point, I'm sure. Um, and today we're talking about dispensations um, and the assertion that dispensation, no reading of the Bible, teaches cessationism. So, I want to spend a little time on that. Obviously, any doctrinal schema or theological system of interpreting the Bible that does not match apostolic Pentecostal theology certainly needs re-examination because if it doesn't match apostolic Pentecostal theology, which can be interpreted as what the book of Acts portrays and teaches, which is the foundation for every church, and most churches would certainly quickly admit that and claim that, even though they may not practice everything that was taught in the book of Acts, they would still assert that this is, this is true. So if, if you've got a subject, in our case, dispensationalism, that does not square with what the book of Acts teaches, then obviously the book of Acts doesn't need re-examination as far as its veracity, but the doctrine of dispensationalism would need re-examination because it has to square with apostolic Pentecostal theology or else it is not biblical in the most organic sense. It's not New Testament in the most organic sense. So, so when we talk about dispensationalism, this is one of the reasons why, on all things apostolic, we hesitate to use the word dispensationalism. The reason is uh, we very strongly would assert and have spent considerable time on this um, uh, program talking about why we would assert this. We certainly would assert that the teaching of dispensations is absolutely organic to uh, the Bible itself. And we've talked about that. You can find that on one of the previous podcasts that have already been made and are in the archives. And I would encourage you to do that. Uh, by the same token, when you come to this subject of dispensationalism, they have uh, people have taken the subject of dispensational readings of the Bible, and out of that they have extrapolated a lot of things through thinking about it and then what some people would call downline thinking, but through um, uh, deductive reasoning. If this is true, then this must be true, then this must be true. 
And dispensationalism has come to some conclusions that are not in alignment with apostolic Pentecostal doctrine. So, um, recently, a, a, a fine brother talked about uh, why he did not believe in dispensations because he said dispensationalism teaches a cessation of the uh, foundational doctrine of salvation as outlined in Acts chapter 2. And therefore, we wouldn't believe in dispensationalism. That's why we are hesitant to use the word dispensationalism, because it has grown into this rather bloated thing that has added a lot of things to a dispensational reading of the Bible that we wouldn't agree with. So if you go pick up um, a book at the Bible bookstore about dispensations, you are likely, or you you might find that that book teaches cessationism or the idea that with the end of the apostolic era, um, the gifts of the Spirit ceased, supernatural manifestations of the Spirit to people ceased, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, as was very clearly and unquestionably portrayed in Acts chapter 2 on the birthday of the church, ceased that none of those things are no longer with us. So our good brother was teaching, and he's not the only one that has taught this, but was teaching that uh, how can you believe in dispensations when they teach that there was a cessation of the Pentecostal experience? So today is a response to that. And the response starts with, this is not what an apostolic Pentecostal dispensational reading of Scripture teaches. Where did this come from then? It came from an evangelical teaching of dispensationalism. And an evangelical teaching of dispensational and evangelical churches, as you know very strongly, would not teach that, and they do not teach that uh, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, as they did on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, you can't receive that today. They would also teach that, uh, or through the years they've taught that tongues is of the devil, or it's of a uh, deranged mind, or of someone who is weak with the emotional excesses, or whatever, whatever marginalization could be given for it if you're going to teach against it. Those have all been thought of, and they've all been used against it. So, so, so when they teach dispensations, they, they have to say, well, but the tongue ceased. Well, we're going to answer that today. This is not what apostolic Pentecostal people teach in a dispensational reading of the Bible. In fact, this is an evangelical violation of what dispensations teach. It is a violation of dispensation. And this is the kind of stuff which makes us avoid using the term dispensationalism, which has kind of been captured and includes a lot of stuff, some more of what we'll try to get to in the next um, session or two. So first we need to clarify whether evangelical or Pentecostal, all who accept dispensational teaching agree with this premise. You have to remember this, that once a dispensation starts, its arrangement, its management guidelines of how God does his work in his household in the earth, its laws, its method of operation, does not vary throughout that dispensation. 
In fact, the whole idea of the dispensation is that it identifies how God is ruling his house at a particular time. And so if you say, well, this is how God ruled his house in the dispensation of the of grace, of the church age. And then you say, except that he changed it in the middle. Well, then that's a violation. And that is not what an apostolic Pentecostal reading of, of dispensations in the Bible would give to you. And it's not a correct one, no matter who's doing it, no matter what their name is. It's a violation of the whole premise of dispensations. And so dispensations don't start one way and then change course in the middle but still be the same dispensation. When the course changes, it changes to a different dispensation. So you got to remember that a dispensation is God's house management. It's how he manages his house. The Father sets the administrative guidelines and rules for the house. They never change until he changes them. And an evangelical theology teaches that miracles and receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit as they did in Acts, all of that ceased at the close of the apostolic age. And, of course, we don't believe that. We know that's not true. In fact, one of the men that, um, that spent a lot of time drawing some very impressive charts, Clarence Larkin, um, and, and teaching on dispensationalism, taught, and this was in his book, uh, what was the name of the book, Riley De- uh, rightly dividing the word of truth, or I can't remember, I can't remember what the name of the book was, but it's it's well known. Um, he taught, Clarence Larkin taught that speaking in tongues was demonic. He taught that it was speaking in tongues was demonic, in spite of the fact that the apostle Peter spoke in tongues, who is the first preacher of the Christian church, no matter who you are. You would have to know and you would probably agree that Peter was the first preacher. And the rest of the apostles stood up with him while he preached, and they all received the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues. And they were with, uh, what would it be, 108 other people, which equaled 120, and they all received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. So now did all that change, was it demonic? Or did it change to be demonic later? Or was it an imitation later of the original and the imitation was demonic? Which is probably what the purporting idea is behind this teaching that speaking in tongues was demonic. Now, most people today, most evangelicals today, this is my opinion, would not say that it's demonic. Why? Well, one major reason is because so many people received baptism of the Holy Spirit. Until now, there are hundreds of millions of people in the world that if you ask them what they are, they would tell you they're Pentecostal, which indicates receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, as they did on the day of Pentecost at the birthday of the church that you claim to be a part of, even if your church teaches that you can't receive that. That's how it started. It started with the apostle Peter himself saying, for the promise is unto you and your children and to all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So you can't get more far off than we are today, both in time, every new second that I'm talking is a new record of how far off that's been from the day of Pentecost. Uh, Nor in distance, we're just about as far away to be on the globe called earth as you can be from the city of Jerusalem where they received this gift. And in both those cases, it doesn't make difference because we have people receiving the Holy Ghost every week 
with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. So, so if, uh, how could it be demonic if it produces the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of people as it does and empowers them to do Christian ministry? It's, it's, a, it's an interesting and remarkable event that in, I think it's 2016 or 17, that the Southern Baptist Church, who has always been adamantly opposed to people, the idea that people could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, um, that they, in the 2016, 17, 18, somewhere along in there, that they actually changed the rules for a person to be a missionary in the Southern Baptist Church so that if they were if they were what they would call tongue talkers, if they were people who had received the Spirit and spoke in other tongues, that now they can be Southern Baptist missionaries. Why? Well, two reasons. One is when the missionary goes to some of these fields that are, that are dark, they're in spiritual darkness, and there is oppression there. They have discovered that they need anointing of the Spirit. They need empowerment of the Spirit. And no less than Jesus himself said in Acts 1 and 8, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. So the power was the source of, of ministry power, of anointing, of taking dominion over destructive forces of evil in the lives of people and preaching a gospel that brings deliverance. So now... It, it, the concession that was made was like, what else are we going to do, kind of. And um, so I applaud them for it because it, it absolutely is biblical. So, uh, so obviously anybody that taught cessation of the gifts of the Spirit or of receiving the Holy Spirit or of the supernatural and miraculous manifestations in the lives of people and in the earth by God, during the church age, obviously they never had the Acts to Holy Ghost infilling experience. So you would you want to ask the question: So how does he know? I mean, if he's never received it, what does he know about it other than intellectually what he has apprehended and decisions he's made about that? Not understanding that the Holy Ghost comes out of an affective encounter, a relational encounter with God. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't understand that. When you read, you must be born again of the water and the spirit. But the resistance to it is the theological one. But it's not a biblical one, and it's not a dispensational issue. It's an interpretation of dispensations that's actually a violation of dispensationalism or of a dispensational reading of the Bible. And those ideas are certainly not from Scripture, and they're certainly not from biblical experience. Yet, the guy said it was demonic, and some people today would probably still say that. Well, it's just ignorance, because you've never received it. So, so what do you know about it? <laughs> so the, just think about this. So the Apostle Peter was the only man in history to be given the keys to the kingdom. He was given those keys... I mean, nobody else has ever had that authority given to them so explicitly to a single individual. I mean, I can just see the angels in heaven saying, wait, Lord, you're not going to give them to him, are you? Look at the failures this man's had. Look at the things. Look at his hot tempered. Look at his quick to make a decision. Look at it. Uh, but he was given those keys by Jesus himself. Isn't that amazing? 
that Jesus would trust us even though he sees that we have areas of our life that we still have inadequacies, but we're working on them. But Jesus knew Peter. And they maybe they said, I mean, I'm just talking, okay? So maybe they said, um, well, what if he fails? And the response of Jesus would have had to have been, I have no alternative plan. And so Jesus gives those keys to kingdom, uh, to uh, keys to the kingdom to Peter. And Peter is the man that that opens the door or doors to salvation. Now, this is on the birthday of the Christian church. This is not on some secondary accounting. This is not we got saved here and down here later we got the spirit. That's not where that's not what that says. This is what happened on the birthday of the church. There was no church before this time. Jesus predicted, I will build my church. The church is not an Old Testament concept. It did not exist in the Old Testament, and it did not exist until the day of Pentecost. And the way it existed is there was an explosion of the infilling of the Old Testament promise of the Holy Spirit living within them. And it took place on the day of Pentecost. That was the birthday. That's the initiation of, of the church into the world. And that is where we get our foundational precepts of the church. Where do you get your foundational precepts of the church? If you're not teaching what the what the original church taught on the foundational precepts that I've already uh, restated here today, probably restate again, then, then where do you get yours? And where do you get your idea that this is the way the church started, this is the way the man with the first key preached it, and this is the results of what he preached? But you've got another idea. Now, listen, if you're, if you're going to church and you're listening to the fact that you, you can't have all these supernatural miracles and, and you cannot have the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life evidenced by speaking in other tongues, hear me today, that is incorrect. Don't let somebody else's misinterpretation or misstatements or unwillingness to embrace what Scripture says, don't let it become the guide of your life, and then you miss out on everything God's got for you. These foundational precepts, there's nothing else that has the veracity and the authority to replace the original foundational precepts that were placed in Acts 2 by the man with the keys. How in God's world does people come to the place that they think there's something more viable than that? And where did you get the idea that that all just quit all of a sudden? Poof, it's all gone. That was just to get the thing started. That's not what it says at all. The promise is unto you and your children and to all that are far off. That includes chronologically in time as well as geographically in space. And so here's the guy who preached the first message. He sets the pattern. He establishes the precedent. And you're going to tell me that you know better? Come on now. <laughs> you know better than to think you know better. So I just don't know how else to tell you how irrational, how insane that is to think that people have a, a dispensation where it's the dispensation of grace, which the word grace is charis or charis in the Greek, which from which we get charismatic, from which we get the idea of the spirit leading people. So, I mean, how that the, the grace in the Bible came through the supernatural manifestation of the spirit in the New Testament. 
You just get to looking and you see that that's very, very true. So you're going to say that these things are not for us. I would have to say uh, this hideously terrible lie has been told to millions of people for decades. But it's wrong. And you that are still teaching that, I would hate to be standing in your shoes at judgment when you've got a Bible in front of you and you keep saying, no, you can't have what the Bible says. And if you're the one of those preachers saying that, I would encourage you to stop right now and say, I'll lay my card on the line. I'll lay everything on the line. God, if you've got this for me, fill me with it. And if somebody's telling you that everybody that has that, they're off in some weird deal or something, I have that, and I've had that for decades in my life. And (laughs) I may sound weird to you, but it's weird that you wouldn't accept the Word of God. So anyway, so you espouse the truth of dispensations and then violate them with some kind of teaching that is just... What's a good word? Cockamamie. <laughs> that it's not for us anymore. Of course it's for us. It's the gift of God prophesied out of the Old Testament. This is the church age. And it's what Paul referred to as a dispensation of grace. It did not close with the death of the apostles. Therefore, everything in that dispensation does not close. They stay constant. That's what the, that's the, the, it's the father ruling his house in a certain way. And then he can make alignments and then it'll be a, 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 an advanced way, a progression, a progression of the ways in which he has moved towards a culminating purpose. And so non-Pentecostal scholars would agree that the church age did not close with the death of the apostles. However, If the church age hasn't closed, then who in the world has granted anyone the authority to say the church age started with people receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidence was speaking in other tongues, but then changed in the early part of the dispensation and said, now no one receives the Holy Ghost any longer. It's crazy. The Old Testament is loaded with scriptures prophesying the coming of the Spirit. It even describes how it would come. Isaiah 28, 11, and 12, with stammering lips in another tongue will I speak to this people. And this is the Sabbath. This is the rest wherewith the weary shall be made to rest. So somebody says, well, you don't think that scripture is talking about speaking in tongues. Well, I would just say to you that Paul thought that scripture was about people speaking in tongues because he quotes that scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, talking about speaking in tongues. So whatever. Um, Paul's a good guy to have on your side. So Jesus spends important amounts of time prophesying the coming of this spirit, and he identifies it as a core purpose, that is empowerment for service, as well as it saves. You must be born again. Now, would we think that he does all that, then he just dumps it? And so it started with Peter, the first and only person in the history of the world who had the keys. God personally gave those keys to him by Jesus Christ. And he began teaching this, and he told us very clearly that the promise is for all of us, and there is no cessation of that in the church age. This, so, in conclusion, this is not a fault line in dispensational teaching or reading of Scripture. 
Instead, it's a violation of dispensational teaching, a violation by people who have rejected what was firmly planted in the church age as the way God will deal with man during this dispensation. The fault is not in dispensational teaching. The fault is with people who have violated dispensational teaching.